Whenever I stay at a White Lotus, I always have a memorable time, always. Welcome to the White Lotus in Sicily. Now that he's loaded, you think he regrets marrying such a dud? What is going on with you? There's a reason they invited us here. It's like you sold your company, you got rich, and now he's your best friend. Are these the kind of people we're gonna be hanging out with now? Did you vote, babe? Be honest. I did. Didn't I? Doesn't matter. Welcome to the No Film School podcast, where I hope you always have a memorable time, just like the guests of The White Lotus. This is Gigi Hawkins, writer, director, and your host. And this week, I speak with cinematographer Javier Grobet about his experience taking on the second season of The White Lotus after its Emmy award-winning first season. Set in Italy, season two of this HBO social satire takes place at an exclusive resort and follows the exploits of various guests and employees over the span of a week. And as a huge fan of the show, I have been gobbling up as much as I can to learn how the team behind it brought it to life. I also watched Mike White, the creator of the show's season of Survivor. He was a contestant on it in an attempt to fill the hole in my life when I finished the second season. Some of the most iconic moments of the White Lotus happen in the water, in the pool, in the ocean. We've got waves crashing, people partying into pools, dead bodies floating into blissful beachgoers. And as we've talked about on the podcast before, shooting in and by the ocean is one of the most difficult things to do in film. Check out our episode on Mami Wata with director CJ Obasi and cinematographer Lilith Suarez for more on that. So, of course, I geeked out when I learned how they pulled off these water shots using the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera, this, like, nimble, pocket-sized, super-quality camera that matched the rest of their camera package seamlessly, which meant they could be creative and quick in the water, moving in and out of the ocean as a tool to help tell the story. But how does Javier and the rest of his team approach the rest of the series, which is so execution dependent on capturing the nuance of conversation between these iconic divisive characters as they are sitting around a table or sitting on a lounge chair or sitting on a hotel bed. In our conversation, we unpack shooting some of the most tension-filled scenes that take place while people are sitting around a table. And we'll also get into Javier's unconventional start in the industry and how at a very early age, he started to think big. We'll talk about the difference between shooting a film and shooting for TV and how Javier met his longtime collaborator, Mike White, before Mike had even directed his first film. And finally, we'll talk about the art of shooting with two cameras, something that, as you'll hear, blew my mind. Here is my interview with Javier Gourbet. Hi, thank you so much, Javier, for joining us. Hi, hello, everyone. Whereabouts in the world are you right now? I'm here in downtown Los Angeles. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> and you're from Mexico City originally? I am from Mexico City, correctly, yeah. How long have you been in LA? 23 years around, more or less. 
I always wonder if when I'm talking to folks from LA, if we're hearing the same helicopters at the same time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what, and it's sort of a 3d audio experience for our, our, our listeners. All now right. you have had a storied career as I explained in our intro. Um, and I'm so curious to learn how you got your start as a cinematographer. Well, I, I went to film school in Mexico city. But like, I guess earlier on, like when I was 11 or something, I, I had some little savings and, and I bought my first Super 8 camera and I just kind of like started shooting. My mother is, was a photographer, a still photographer, artist. And so I grew up with the cameras and the dark room in my house and everything. So I was always surrounded by photography, but then I turned it in, you know, into motion. So. But yeah, so I, I went to film school in Mexico City in, I guess, in 1984, I guess I entered this film school. And, and that was it, you know, and I always kind of like knew I wanted to be behind the camera, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Did, when you were in film school, were you focused on narrative or were you also experimenting with documentary? Both, because actually in school, we, like the first year, it was all, you know, Hundred full, hundred feet of rolls, so sixteen millimeter to like do your first movie, and also two hundred feet, you know, like nothing. But it was, yeah, it was all narrative. But then, like, I think it was the second or third year we had a, a like a doc. I did, a, I made a documentary, and also like even some of the first jobs that I did was our, our the director at, at our school, Eduardo Maldonado. At that time, he's a famous documentarist, so. Kind of like one of my first jobs as a camera assistant was in a documentary that he was directing, like a feature field documentary. So it took us like several, you know, how it is, several days of going to this place in Mexico City called Xochimilco. Mm-hmm. And we kind of like through probably as long as maybe a year, a full year of, of going different dates to shoot. And that was my first experience, you know, like on a, with filmmakers, so. And I do love documentaries too. I wish, you know, I wish I'd done more in my career. There's a few, but it's something that I really like to do a lot. It can still happen. It could still happen. Yeah, yeah. Like exactly. you have the pick of the litter now. And okay. now what was your first time on set outside of film school in the, the, the role of DP? The role of DP? Well, the school that I went to, Centro de Capacitación Cinematográfica in Mexico City, Mm-hmm. They started with a like a graduate program where the school produces, and I think still happening, a feature film for for a for a student or a or a how to say yeah for student yeah wow so every what an year opportunity they, I know yeah so the, there's like a there's like a selection of projects and so the 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 one that I did was the second year that of the program. It's called Benjamin's Woman. Mm-hmm. And so that was my first time as a cinematographer. It was, it was still through the, fi- through the film school, but it was, it was now a feature film. And it had happened that at that time, kind of like what happened in this country as well, the unions were completely closed off to anyone, you know, new to come in because, you know, new, ge- new generations coming to take the old, the old timers, their jobs and stuff. So... And at that time, I had been working as a camera assistant already for 
some of the you know American shows that shoot or used to shoot in Mexico. So and so I entered the film. I entered the union through, as a camera assistant. Oh, not oh, through the it. film. No, before this is years before. Mm-hmm. Oh, not years. Maybe a year or two before I entered the, the union as a camera assistant because they needed people who spoke the language, spoke English, and also. Well, I didn't know much about camera assisting, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest. But uh, so that was the first times I was working on, you know, in, in professional sets. But then when the, when the opportunity came to do this movie with the school, it was, it was my idea to say, like, why don't we do like a joint venture between the union and the school, which is something that hadn't been done before. And so we did it that way. And I, I had to like jump a lot of like hurdles because a lot of people weren't happy in the union with me shooting a movie because I was supposed to be a camera assistant or a DP. Right. And I said, well, but this is something I'm bringing to the union, bringing job to, to the members. And I'm a student, well, a graduate student from, from the school. So, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So eventually we won and we made it that way. And I don't know anything good came out of that in, <laughs> besides the movie. But I mean, at least we did that experience with the two of them. But the movie came out really, it's very simple. It was only four weeks of shoot. I think we shot it with 40,000 feet of film, which was nothing. In four weeks. And, and the movie came out really well and it won several awards internationally. So it was kind of like a really great experience. And of course, my first movie, you know. What was, what was the film's name again? Benjamin's Woman or La Benjamin. Mujer de Benjamin. Okay, yeah. so we have to put it on our watch list so we can yeah, see yeah, yeah. the original. Now, you've obviously had this expansive career since, uh, and we could talk about so many different collaborations that you've had, but I'd love to hear how you started your working relationship with, with Mike White, the, the creator of The White Lotus. Yeah. I met Mike on the set of Nacho Libre because he was a producer in that movie. And well, I got hired to do the movie. We shot it in Mexico, in Oaxaca. And so, you know, that's, how, that's the first time I, I mean, I knew of him, but that's the first time we kind of like in, started interacting. And so that's how I met him. And then eventually after that movie, which was such a great uh, shoot, I mean, it was, you know, one of those shoots that everything, all the crew was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And the, the actors, well, Jack Black was phenomenal. and. Everybody was so nice, and it was just like a one of those really pleasurable experiences. It makes me so happy to hear that because watching it, I yeah. feel the warmth and the care yeah. that's going into it. I'm like, ah, oh, this is just so delightful and so fun. Yes. And so it makes sense that that was the the experience on set as well. Yeah, not all the time is that way, but it, it definitely was on this one. So yeah, so that that came out really well, and then eventually, I think. Mike went to do his first movie, The Year of the Dog, with Molly Shannon. And, and so he kind of like talked to me about doing it, and then he didn't, so I, I didn't shoot that movie. But then eventually, then there was another attempt with the pilot for Enlightened, mm-hmm. which he also offered, and then he unoffered. And so Larry Sher did it, and that's because Larry Sher and, and Mike White went to school together, so it made sense. And so Larry shot the pilot, but then he offered me to do the, the series itself. So that's, that was the beginning of my relationship with him as a director. And so we shot the two seasons of Enlightened, which was, again, 
you know, one of the best experiences of my life, like great crew, great everything. And, you know, and just the rapport with Mike White was fantastic. We had a really good time. What do you think creates those positive environments, both on on both of these sets that you've discussed compared to ones that may have been less of a delight? I mean, it has to do with definitely with the people. and But, you know, it, there's so many elements that can affect the atmosphere in a set. I mean, I've been in, in sets that are not as pleasurable as well. And, of course, it's not as nice. You know, it's not, it's not fun. I mean, the, the job itself is really hard to make it even harder by not being in a good mood. But, you know, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes projects are demanding and stressful and people get in, in that, you know, we all get into that mindset, you know, or, or, or so it's, so sometimes it's difficult, but in this case, I don't know, it was just the elements of the material is so fun and easy and the actors are fantastic and the crew was great. And it was just all the elements. And then with Mike White also like having fun in the set, like laughing and, and just kind of like, you know, being, I want to say childish, but you know, just having fun, you know? Playful, 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 playful. Yeah. Exactly. Playful, it's yeah. that is a through line I've noticed in these conversations with filmmakers across the board. It's it's when you can create a, a set where there is obviously the basics are covered, safety and professionalism, but also when you bring the playfulness to the table, yes. like yeah. it 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 lets there be room for creativity as well. Now, you've worked in both film and TV, and the benefit of TV is like you're building a a family that you're running with for quite some time. What has been the different ways that you approach the different mediums? Creatively or emotionally? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, both. I'm curious. (laughs) Well, emotionally first is, you know, it's when I started this business, one of the things that, that was really difficult emotionally was that you get in, you get, as you say, like in this movie family and you start seeing these people more than you see your, your actual family. And, and you, create bond, you create bonds and you create friendships and you create, you know, links with all these people and, and, and especially when it's a, a, a favorable atmosphere. And then, and then at the end, suddenly one day, wrap, okay, done, boom, oh. family over. Yes. And so the first, the first times I, I worked on movie sets, I always had like a breakdown and I would cry for two weeks and I would like, I'd be completely devastated and you know what was happening, you know, and it was just because the family had broken up. And so with the years, I had to like build up this protection, yeah. let's say. So that I could handle this in a better way. I mean, you know, it's also, I was also young and all that. But But that is is real emotional whiplash. It's like the post summer camp blues where you're like, will we ever be together again? Exactly. Yeah. So that, that is, that is a big thing. And, you know, and I mean, I guess on a small movie, it's less of a time spending time with like with a series that you spend ten months together with with people. But you know, there's also films that you spend six months on a movie or a project, <laughs> and it's the same thing. But but in terms of you know, creatively, it's it, it you know it's been an an evolution you know from from 
the film language to TV language. In a way, making a film gives you more, you have more time to think things out and to kind of create something. I don't know, you have, I, I think you have more time to explore and to, to, you know, settle your imagination, put your mm -hmm. imagination down, you know, ground it. On TV, sometimes the space, the, the pace is so fast that it just doesn't give you that. But so that's, that's a big of a difference creatively on, on how you approach a movie and how you approach a, a TV show. And also like, depending, like if it's, if it's a show, which like now, nowadays the, the common thing is that there's several DPs, like maybe two DPs on a series and you, you start like alternating so that you have time to prepare with the new director. So you so can get some sleep. Well, not only that, but also like in the time, you know, let's say I'm shooting episode one and then I finish my episode one. The other DP comes in to shoot episode two this the following day. Like the machinery doesn't stop. Yeah. And I don't stop. I just go to the new to the director of episode three and we start prepping his episode or his or her episode uh, for, you know, for those couple of weeks or whatever. So that so that you can attend and what, see locations and can like talk about the specifics of the director's requests and 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 so and then you're ready to go in to jump in and then the other DP goes and, and prepares the following one. So that way you give you have chance to to be with your new director and prepare correctly. You know, when you have this like partnership with a DP where you're switching off episodes, for example, how do you continue? Do you, are you guys in communication with each other about the visual language, knowing that, of course, the the pilot has established the look of the show, or are you more operating in silos at that point? No, yes, there's there's definitely communication, and it it actually creates it's something interesting too because you know we as cinematographers you don't really back in the film days you never saw another cinematographer work because you know that's the one thing that you do so you would never be on another yeah. project with another dp unless you were doing second unit or something like that but so in this case it gives you a chance to like to to kind of like collaborate you know like in the we did a, a show uh, we crashed and Corey walter was the other dp and i so we can like prepare together we we chose the lenses together we we talk both with the directors who were establishing the sh the, the show and and so we together kind of like came up with it. So it was a collaboration. And then, and then at the end, you know, when you're shooting your episode or his episode, we're always in contact and talking about how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you find the set? Do we, shall we ask for these changes or those changes? Or like, there's always communication and always collaboration. Yeah, for sure. What's interesting about both We Crashed and The White Lotus season two is both shows elicit a lot of anxiety <laughs> watching. Uh -huh. There's a lot of tension, but in very different ways. Um, uh -huh. And so bravo in creating and crafting oh, that you. And, and, you know, keeping me up at night in, the, in a <laughs> mind racing. Right. Now, when you were putting together season two of The White Lotus, which in the, is for anyone who hasn't seen the show, picks up with mostly completely new characters in a new location, same hotel chain, essentially. How much did you consider the look of the first season when thinking about season two? No, absolutely. Like, completely based on it. We, you know, having seen the first season and all that, the, the, the show has 
already a look established, you know, with especially talking about, you know, the beauty shots and all those, this, this uh, you know, this imaging, how do you say, uh, imagery, Ima- the, all this imagery of, you know, the waves and the hallways and the empty spaces and like all these details of paintings and sculptures. And it, that was also, that's, that was already part of the show, no, of the language of the show. So we kind of like just did that plus more, you know, we also had the, the chance or the opportunity to go out of the hotel, not just stay in the hotel as in season one. I mean, season one was basically a pandemic show because the idea of that show was that put everybody in a hotel, nobody goes out. It's a bubble for COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's how that show started. Thank uh, God. <laughs> Yeah. The best thing to come out of the pandemic. There you go. This really came out. I mean, Mike White had this the idea of a show similar mm-hmm. for from way back because he had told me about it, but it was more like a, a couple traveling around the world. But this now turned into a group of people, no? Like all these guests in the hotel. But it's basically the same thing. He had it in mind. So this was the first the the, the perfect opportunity to to land this project, no? Absolutely. And, but uh, yeah, so, so this second season, I mean, there was still COVID, but we're not in a lockdown. So the show is now not just in the hotel, but in, you know, we're in Sicily and there's all these locations and, you know, so there's a lot more visual appeal in the show as well. You know, you specifically brought up these shots that feel like the part of the fingerprint and the identity of the show, which are the spaces around the hotel and also just the setting in general, because it's such a place centered and yeah. story. Um, can you talk to me about how you found those shots? Were they all planned or were sometimes, did you see something and you're like, we have to get this cliff. This cliff this, is this, Tanya's this, yeah, yeah. angst. <laughs> They're all of the above everything. So from, um, uh, from having a drone unit doing all those shots, from having underwater unit doing those shots, from having Frank Larson, who, who did kind of like a camera slash second unit, he would go out and take shots of the waves, stuff like that. Sometimes I grabbed a small camera at night and I went to do the moon reflected on the water and I got the, the volcano erupting and so it was all of the above. Like we had from sometimes we would finish the scene and then the next day Frank would stay behind and complete, complete, you know, take, take care of all the shots. Sometimes we did them on, on the go if we had the time. So it was every, every time we had the opportunity to do something. And, you know, when, when you get, when we got to the locations, there was always ideas like, ah, this could be a, a cool idea here. This could be a cool shot, you know. So we were kind of like making lists of everything that we saw on the on the go and saying you know this this should be at least for for a second unit you know now so. let's get into the like a sort of nitty-gritty element of of shooting this show how did you what did you do to control the look of the show throughout the process like did you make a show let are you live grading on set um and did it change throughout from what you envisioned to what it ended up, ultimately ended up being yeah i was in i was in sicily and it was it was hard to like i created a lot with my dit from rome and then we sent it back to la to our post house and to our colorist and he kind of like tweaked it and send it back it, I, to be honest i wasn't completely happy with the results because it was never 
it's hard to do it like at a distance and not 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 having exactly the same footage and it was hard but but we managed something close and to be honest also like we started shooting with that lot and i wasn't i wasn't happy with it and so i i started tweaking it as we went the first few days but so usually i i like having a lot created from the beginning and just stick to it i think makes life easier and also at the end of the day, when the director and the editor, editor are, are doing their job, they don't fall in love with, they, they fall in love with whatever you give them. So if you do something that doesn't look exactly what you, what you envisioned, yeah. then they fell in love with it and then it's impossible to change it. Yep. Yep. So I've, you I've definitely say, okay, been guilty of that. And people are like, you need to color grade this. And I'm like, no, it's washed out. And they're like, no. No, exactly. Exactly. So the best, the best thing to do is com- to be as close as possible to your, to your liking from the get-go. That way they get used to what they have. And in this case, you know, there was a few things that I wasn't completely happy. At the end of the day, when we did the coloring, it was tweaked again completely. The one thing I knew is I didn't want to go as as far as they did on on season one with the orange tone, mm. which I think is interesting, but uh, it was hard for me to like take it in the beginning. Then you get used to it and it's, it looks great too. But uh, I, did, I just didn't, I wanted it to be warm as well, vacation and Sicily and the colors of Sicily and all that, but I didn't want to go as, as far as they did on season one. Yeah, yeah. I also think that it, it if you went too far with warmth in Sicily in particular, it would feel like almost like not as dark and cold as the people in this world are and the setting of this world, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, what were some of the specific camera tests that you did prior to shooting and what kind of things were you testing for? Well, the first was the first thing to test was the lenses. I decided to go Alexa mini. 35, super 35, just regular, no, no large format. And that gave me the chance to use the, the Panavision Primos, which, because I did test with other lenses and I wasn't feeling it. And then when I, I asked the camera house in Rome, I said, what else do you have? He said, well, we have the, we have the Primos. It's like, let them, let them, let me see them. You yeah. know, from the seventies. I mean, these are really beautiful lenses. No, I don't know, seventies or eight. I don't know. And that's why I tested those lenses and I really love them. Yeah. So that, that's, that's how, and it's, you know, it's funny because you do these tests and sometimes you might say, it doesn't make any difference. Nobody's going to notice. I'm probably not, but, but suddenly there's a feeling, it, it's a feeling you get when you see it put together and then you say, you know what, this is what I like. Yeah. You know, I know you could probably shoot it with an iPhone and people wouldn't even know, probably. I don't know, but this is what I like. And yeah. this, you know. It's um, the intangible gut reaction to the image that it's creating that you correct. latch on to. And when yes. you, you know, that's yeah. a great instinct to be able to follow. Um, you have to all the time. I think in life in general, you have to follow your gut. That's the only truth. Were there any shots in particular on this note that you had sort of planned out or worked through with Mike that you, on the day of, you're like something in your gut was wrong, sitting, wasn't sitting right, and you ended up pivoting in while you were shooting the show? Mm. 
I think the, some of the difficult the, the difficulty I, I had was shooting at the hotel. The hotel had just been renovated by Four Seasons, and it was like the year before, so it was, everything was brand new, including the lighting. And the lighting of the hotel was all LED, and everything was automized and co connected to their own server. So my gaffer and his board operator, they were so clever. They went into the server and they, they tagged into it. Uh -huh. And so we were able to control all the lights of the hotel from an iPad. Wow. Or from his board. It was amazing. So That's like, such an it, amazing hack. Yeah, because otherwise it would have been impossible. But then the things that we found out is that, you know, if, if you dimmed at us to a certain point, they would flicker. And so it was like a, uh, we had to like do tests and, and figure out. But on, on the day, we had to like even you know, day by day, correct, yeah. you know, the situation, you know, that was really hard. It was, it was very easy in one side, having that, that, that opportunity to do it that way, but also it, you know, we had to like perfect it, you know, sometimes you couldn't dial, dial it down. So we had to like create these nets for these lights that they had at the restaurant. I mean, it was all like creating things on the go, you know? Wow. So a lot of winging it based off of this yeah. solution. Yeah. Yeah. L Speaking of the restaurant and the, the restaurant in all of the eating scenes, I think this show has more people sitting around a table. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. That's all it is. <laughs> you just, I feel like I just saw like a stress dream flash across your face. Yeah. This is notoriously one of the most difficult things to shoot people sitting at a table. And there's one in scene in particular. And in the scene in episode one, we have the characters Harper and Ethan, a couple and Daphne and Cameron, a couple C Ethan and Cameron grew went to college together. They were sort of friends. Ethan recently sold his company and is very wealthy. And Daphne and Cam are sort of these waspy elites and, and Harper's very wary of them as a couple. What is their motive? So that's all the backstory. But they're here on this vacation together as, you know, friends. And they're sitting around and drinking Aperol spritzes and talking about their perspectives of the state of the world. One couple is happily binging Dateline and the other couple is like, the world's on fire. And my favorite part of this scene is like, yeah, we voted. Didn't we, hun? I don't know. Did you? It's so, it's so good and so good at establishing the tension within yeah. this relationship. So I'd love to hear in as much detail as you feel it would benefit our listeners, how you went about shooting this scene in particular. Well, like all the, like, as you say, like the whole show is like that. I, I, when I talk to Mike, he's like, what are we going to do with the stylist? Like, what do you mean? These are just people talking around the table. The rest is like shots. He's like, all right. <laughs> so, you know, every scene, as, as simple as it might seem, like you, what you just described, you have all this tension going between couples and you have this tension between individuals as well, you know? So... Uh, I guess we we kind of like rehearse the scene, and then Mike and I would kind of like figure out which which two or which singles we needed to you know to accentuate like that somebody's reacting to somebody or or the two couples are reacting to the other two or so we kind of like map out in in terms of the story, and then and then we decide okay we need these angles, so we need 
maybe these couples on one shot, and then we have these two on the other, and then maybe have, you know, so we start mapping it out loud, but based on the dynamics of the scene of the, not just like, you know, it's like, okay, this, these two need to have their two singles on their angle, on their same angle, because these two are, you know, she's reacting to what he's saying. So we have to do this. So you know, that kind of thing. So it's just mapping out from the script base what, what had to be done on every... Yeah, but that scene is really fantastic because this the dialogue might seem very banal. And at the end, it's telling you so much about the characters. Like, as you're saying, like, did I, did I vote, honey? Yeah, I think, did I? Yeah, I think you did. Okay, so that says everything about those characters, you know. And then you cut to, the, to Harper's reaction going... Oh my god! Yes, that's it, you know. <laughs> so. If I'm remembering correctly, she's also wearing sunglasses in that moment. Yes. So like it's the the subtlety of capturing the dis the discomfort and also the disdain for this couple yes. that she's about to be spending the next days with is right. so brilliant. And then the, it ends on a very interesting note. Like the she is sort of nudged to go take. Cam, the other couple's husband, upstairs to get a replacement swimsuit since he lost yeah. his his bag. And it they're rewatching it. Spoiler, sorry, listeners, if you haven't watched, if you haven't watched, I don't. You, I what are you doing? Stop everything. It yet. <laughs> yes, yes. There's this foreshadowing moment that has that's Daphne's reaction towards Cam, and yeah. and I I believe the camera didn't move. I think you just captured it in that moment. As, as Cam moves out of frame. So you're shooting dirty from behind, over the shoulder from Cam towards Daphne, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then she sees him, gets up, she glances at him and then like continues the conversation as if nothing happened. And it's like right. the complete, I mean, it is the storyline of this dynamic and it's, I think it just captures it so brilliantly. With all of these micro moments that you guys are need to capture for the story, are you shooting with two cameras or is it always one yes. camera? You are shooting with no, two? Constant, yeah, to- totally, com- completely. Totally, the two cameras all the time. Oh, so throughout one, the entire show. Yeah, throughout the entire show. Yeah, that's almost like a norm, I mean... It's it's hard to not do that. You need you don't have the time to to do a camera at a time, so you need to do a lot of you know. And it makes sense. I mean, you you can while while you're doing the main dialogue, the other one can be doing their the you know the other reaction. The reaction. So you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so are are you usually shooting two at a time? Like, I guess then you'd shoot the sort of the you start wider and then move in shooting two at a time and then flipping it around. Yeah, we never. If your question is if we cross shoot, uh, like for example in We Crashed, the style of We Crashed was cross shooting because the actors were improvising all the time and the directors wanted to do every scene in the script and we didn't have time. So I became the you know a, a, an expert on cross shooting, meaning we do the two dialogues at the same time. You know, which it is hard because you know you have. Anne Hathaway on one side, you make her, you want to make her look beautiful. And then you have Jared Leto on the other side. And so in this case, I said like, I'm sorry, Jared, I'm going to, I didn't say that to him. Of course, that to me, I said like, I'm going to light her. She has to look pretty. And then, then I'll take care of you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She goes first. Luckily they're both stunning. So like they're net, net, they're good. 
if for somebody who would be cross shooting for the first time, because I feel like that is not how we're taught in film school. I did drop out of film school, but my one year there, we were very much focused on setting up a single camera. What are some, what is like the thing you need to know about cross shooting to pull it off? Well, you have to find a way of lighting that is, that looks good on both angles. Usually, I mean, of course there's, there's a sacrifice on everything. Like, if you if you don't have to cross shoot, then you can be more clear on the framing and on the lighting on on on, on each of the sides. But if you're cross shooting, you're gonna compromise in a way. So so you have to you know maybe the angle is not the exact that you would like, or maybe the lighting is not exactly what you would like, but you make it look as the best possible. And so. I mean, at the end, you know, you so you see we crash and you don't even notice it. Yeah, you know, so it's it's you know, you it's it's a matter of that uh, gut feeling too. Yeah, testing it, going for it, you know. But also becomes the style of the show. Like we crash was that was the style, and and it became the style because then the actors were improvising all, all the time. So you imagine if you did one side with one improvisation and then you do the other with the other improvisation, nothing matches. Yeah. So that's why the directors wanted to do it this way. That and makes then, sense. You know, and then, and then the, the, you know, it, it, how, do, how do I say it? It could be just a, a different way of shooting as well. Like you don't have to always have the exact uh, frame on one side and the other. If, if one side is over the shoulder, the other one doesn't have to be over the shoulder. I mean, it actually, it's actually better when, you're, when you're, you're not matching exactly everything to make it all perfect. No, it's sometimes kind of like the the freestyle also helps to make it a little fresher, you know? Yeah. It, it feels case, alive. Yeah. Like in those particular shows, partic- in, yeah. which then I look back to like Nacho Libre and I'm like very different in terms of like very set up in the frame and letting something unfold in just the most delightful way versus like these two things that are causing me immense stress in the best way exactly. possible. So like you're eliciting these different Emotions well, and, and then, add, for example, in Nacho Libre, add the fact that we were shooting everything with wide angles, even the close-ups. So if you see in, in Nacho Libre, there's barely any over the shoulders. It's all yeah. like centered shots. Like I would have a, a, a close-up shot of, of Jack or the other actors, like so close to their faces because it was a wide angle that there was no way that, the act, that she could be looking at the actor because the actor, if he looked at the actor, it looked like she was looking... Way off to the side. Way off. So she had to look or he had to look right into the lens almost, you know, to make it work. So that's a completely different approach as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. So... I think it, it, it's such a great way to study cinematography is to look at look at the range of your work and see, see how... See the different feel that feelings that it's eliciting now yeah, one as... thing i have to say what i have to say is like none of my movies look like like the other so they're all different so <laughs> are you allowed to choose your favorite look as a cinematographer i think i think the project chooses the style i mean oh, also oh, the sorry director. i mean I, I mean like looking back at your work are you allowed to choose a favorite like my oh, favorite what i look what i like the best yeah there's other you know, there's several that I like a lot. They're all different. But I, for example, I like what I did on Focus, that movie, um, with the color and the camera, the lenses. I thought it was really beautiful. I like what I did on Mother and Child. That's a very small movie, but 
just very simple and elegant. The camera barely moves. I like what I did on City of Ember. That was kind of like this science fiction kids movie with tons of action and like colors and sets of different, you know, it, it was so much fun. So yeah, there's, there's many. Yeah. Lots of favorites. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> now, as, as we're wrapping up here, what advice do you have for somebody who is just starting out their career and they're looking to become, they're looking to have a career similar to yours, but they're on oh my God. their first couple of steps of the journey? I'd say, I mean, it's, it's, first of all, find your own way. We all have a different way, a different reality. There's DPs that are born DPs. There's DPs that come up the ladder from camera assisting to operating to whatever. So find your own way and, and just pursue every possible opportunity that you have. I have my friend, Anna Mortegui. She's a Colombian cinematographer. She started with us in Enlightened as, as a camera PA. And she's the hardest working woman I've ever met. Always with a smile and never tired of doing anything. And she, had in, she said, I am going to become a DP. And now she's shooting shows for Marvel. Wow. She never took the, you know, she never, she never let it go. She's, that was her dream. And she went out to pursue, to, to get it, you know. And take you all the opportunities that I have. This is my favorite Hollywood success story. My friend Chris, his boyfriend is a fantastic costume builder. Like he works on leather and he worked for years on shows, on cruises for years, making barely any money. And one day he was not working and this friend of ours producer said like hey i'm doing this short film and the costume designer needs somebody to help her out and and shannon said yeah sure i'll help her and so he went out you know a couple of days on a short film with not expecting anything and this woman was so impressed with shannon's work as a builder for Mm -hmm. for costumes that she brought him in to work on the mandalorian wow and oh so gosh. now he's like the head of, you know, he builds all these superhero costumes for Hollywood movies. Wow. So just because he said yes to helping somebody out in a short film. So, so I guess that's the spirit. I mean, if you have an opportunity, just take it. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't let it go, you know? Well, thank you so much for joining us and for uh, getting into the weeds about your process. I think that our listeners are really going to connect with your your story and also enjoy watching your work moving forward. So thank you you so so much. much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Javier, for your time and for capturing some of my favorite TV moments yet. God, I love a cringe laugh, and this show does it for me. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can like, rate, and subscribe to the No Film School podcast across all platforms. You can get more cinematography tips at nofilmschool.com. And we've also got a course focused on just this, how to make money as a cinematographer. It's a new in-depth online course from No Film School available now. 
You can follow us on socials at No Film School, and you can send us your questions and let us know what you think about this podcast by emailing podcast at nofilmschool.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.